Welcome to the Outdoor Country Talk Podcast. Brought to you in part by GSM Outdoors. Hosted by Jacob Poole and Jeremy Shaw. We bring country living and the great outdoors together. Welcome back to another episode of Outdoor Country Talk. Pool boy, I got a little topic to discuss yet again before we get started. Okay. With you and Keith. Look. Actually, go ahead, Keith. No, you hit it. Okay. I'm waiting to hear this topic. Okay. So, um, as we discussed a little bit in the last episode about hunting seasons and changes and all that kind of good stuff, got another one here that I want to get you guys' opinion on. You know, COVID-19, popular topic, seems like. You know, we have our own opinions about it and all. But as of late, it seems that the Canadian border is going to be closed to American hunters. So there will be no waterfowl hunting. I don't say no waterfowl hunting, but a lot of outfitters that come out of the United States into Canada do the hunting. Obviously, that's not going to be able to happen this I mean, year. You're not just looking at waterfowl there. You're looking right. at big game, elk, yeah. moose, and well, caribou. I guess related to what we do, you know, we're we're avid duck hunters and everything. How do you guys think that's going to impact the migration? Uh, impact duck hunting as a whole for us this year? I have my own opinion, but I'll see what you guys think. You're going to have I, less pressure ahead. in the prairie pothole region. Uh, so, I mean, I can't see it doing anything but actually impacting this better. Possibly. I mean, but you're going to shut a lot of outfitters down that yeah. probably depend on that livelihood. That new, yeah. You know, the guy we hunted with in Newfoundland, I talked to him last week, and, you know, he's not booking right. a third of the hunts he normally books. So, yeah. And thank goodness he did not buy a boat, and thank goodness I did not put money in to buy mm. the second boat with him because that could have been That'd a, be a heck of an investment right now, wouldn't it? I'd probably just go up there and stay and <laughs> and hunt for several months. That way I get my money's worth. Yeah. And, but Keith, yeah. uh, what do you think? I, well, the population, especially waterfowl, is going to get nuts. Because um, I might guess that they pound the daylights out of them uh, up north of our border. I know that my brother being a waterfowl guide in North Dakota, um, it, it, you know, it was just overwhelming the number of geese coming down and if nobody's hunting them up there i think uh i think it'll, it'll really up the odds down here in the lower 48 and it, it really will i think especially uh, if we get some cold weather to push but it's well that's what you got to have you got to have the ice hitting these upper states so that the geese and ducks have to go down south right now i mean there's so many locals around here because it's been you know fairly warm winters and our yeah. rivers aren't clogging up with ice so they sit around here and we you know just here in Sox City, we probably have 70,000 geese at Harvard within a 10-mile radius of me. Yeah. Well, and there's you no know, telling what amount of damage to farmers' fields and mm-hmm. crops that they're doing at that time. No doubt. You know, last year, the big problem was you the Mississippi River stayed out of its levees for so long that so much land was not able to be planted. Well, the ducks, you know, they're going to food. They're going to water. They're going to food. So migration shifts have changed. You know, they that started, or if it did get planted, it didn't get harvested. It so. didn't get harvested, so then you had yeah. a you, abundant amount of food supply. So I mean, it was a, a hit and miss there, but we didn't get the winter, so right. it didn't push ducks. You know, and a lot of folks don't realize if you don't get, if the water does not freeze up, they don't no, have so. to come south. As long as they uh, got food, they're not leaving. Yeah, so if you don't get enough snow and enough ice, they're not coming south. I mean, there's too much yeah. up there to. Go right I mean, through I've, North Dakota, Wisconsin, Minnesota, yeah, North Dakota up through there. There's more fields. I've never hunted Canada, you know, early season. I, I know a lot of people, uh, from what I gather, forums that I read, podcasts I listen to, a lot of people this time of the year are getting those trips planned to go in, what, October, late September, October, early November to go to Canada to start hunting. And yeah. You know, yeah. there's a lot of juvenile birds that get killed right then. Because, I mean, that's where they hatch. That's where they are. And a lot of juvenile birds get killed. Well, and you can't tell plumage at that that's time right. either. So, you, so really you don't, don't know, know what, what you're killing. Or, um, and that's a lot of juvies get killed. So I can see it, you know, kind of like you hit on pool. It's going to be a positive on some things and a negative on some things. And hopefully, 
you know, we can see a positive out of it down here in the in the in the lower 48 that you know we have a have a good population and hopefully we get the weather we can see them but well if you move past ducks i mean keith go from gsm standpoint um how much product do y'all push to canada a lot and, uh, and a lot of outfitters lot. From they, the yeah US. There's, there's some great distributors canadian tire whatever that are just giant outfitters um or outdoor distribution centers you know we got you know, cabela's is up there of course division of bass course you know now, those... but yeah it's it's up there you know the thing is and the really sad thing is the outfitters and you know i, I do the pennsylvania show for 11 days straight you know with gsm and and we get to meet just a ton of outfitters in fact most of the really the the traffic business that we do isn't isn't just to the joe walking past it's these outfitters that are coming over and they want to you know they want to put 15 20 cameras on their place or you know they they need this or that or whatever to make their thing and, and all these guys you know it, it's it's not a pp loan so to speak up in there that i can speak for or anything like that these guys live off of tips Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's the thing. And you look at your restaurants and you look at all this kind of service that deals with tips. And that's the stuff that's crippling with this disease. You know, and I, I, my brother being a waterfall guy, you know, he got paid and he took a living out of it. But his guys with him, you know, it was up to them to treat the customers right. You know, do whatever you can to make make them have a successful hunt. And that's where they got jing. I mean, that's where they got their money. And it, it's just crushing. You know, you take these outfitters that I met. Oh, this year I met a lot of them. I was I was really perusing the whole place trying to find a spot and stock mule deer hunt. And uh, you know, you, you meet all these guys. Well, you know, these are expensive hunts, and you start saying, you know, twenty, thirty clients at five thousand dollars aren't coming. You know, all of a sudden you're you know you're talking you know one hundred thirty thousand dollars gross income is gone. Well, and yeah. that's not gross income. That's that's your gross. But you start looking at net. There's no telling what they've had to pay for concession or for land lease or. Yep. Um, that they're going to have to pay regardless. Yeah, they're if paying they're keep, if yeah. they're going to keep the the right. lease or keep the the concession on it, whether yep. it's a government deal or a private deal. Those monies typically have to be paid. But that's what a lot of people miss and a lot of people forget about is a trickle down effect, like you just said. How many restaurants yeah. are fixing to go under? How many, you know, hotels? Because if you're not lodging, you're not eating, you're not buying gas, you're not buying su- supplies at Cabela's, you're not going to the local, you know, stores there picking up stuff. Yeah, it's going to be, you know, and not counting airlines and everything else. Because if you're not traveling, there's all kind of money being missed. Yeah, it's it's just such a systemic thing, and if there was ever an example of how crippling things could be, uh, you know, you, you take this boogeyman, and it, it's affected everybody. Now, there's some people that are, you know, ha- flourishing off of it. One thing, liquor stores, you know, it, it's obviously that's a necessity, and uh, it, it's they're so busy, it, it's crazy. You know, gun stores busy, you know, well, which is you great. Wanted to you know, really. Yeah, if you want to look at a prime example and look, any of our listeners, if you if you've ever had a a wildlife concern, you know, if the hunters are not putting revenue back into the industry, then the the game just does not survive the same. But you know, we did a podcast with Blood Origins not too terribly long ago, and he was talking about the effect that this has on South Africa or Africa as a whole you know, on the big game hunting. Oh yeah. Those outfitters actually support towns and complete villages. Oh, no doubt. And the money that they have, the people that work for him or them, is actually the groups that protect the wildlife. Yes, they're harvesting a few of the animals, but they're keeping poachers out to where if there's no revenue in, then they don't have money to pay the, you know, a lot of those groups have, you know, complete teams that go around checking out poachers and keeping everything right. And if they're not able to do that, then, you know, the the ecosystem actually hurts worse. Yeah. The um, the one, what kind of spurred the, the conversation or the, the thought from me was I was looking at an article today on Outdoor Life, and that's what they were talking about. The, uh, they hadn't made the final decision yet, and I think it's supposed to be made like August the 21st. But if they do open it up, there's going to be a mandatory like 14-day quarantine, so – you know, it's not looking good even if they do open up anything, but they were talking about how it could cost the outfitters their livelihood. And um, and I just got to thinking about it, you know, from a from a migratory standpoint, that how it could affect us. It may be positive, but, 
you know, I don't I don't know if that outweighs the economic effect that it could have on the Canadian, you know, outfitters and even the outfitters that come from the United States that outfit in Canada because I know that's yeah, it's that's a lot a, of them. That's a it's pretty a popular lot of them thing come from here and that, go up there and that's right. You know, start their money rolling in pretty early and then they can shift back down in the United States and outfit throughout our hunting season and you know that's those people's way of life and you know I guess the um, the moral of this is you know covid just still continues and you know you realize more impacts of what it's going to have other than you know what it may be in your you know local community or how it's affecting you know your state or county or or town or however you want to look at it but it's uh it's got a broader effect and coming a little bit more into light of what else it's going to going to trickle down to yeah it's 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 crippling it is and you watch some of these decisions that these governors are making and stuff and you, you take, for instance, just in our area, there, there's so many poor decisions that really do not lead to a potential for us to get back to normal, you know. But then on that same token, they do have to be wise and they do have to think about things. And, you know, there's I, I don't want to get into this and politics and everything else, but I, I know the people in Canada, there are so many of us in the lower 48 that do go up there and we do spend a lot of money up there. So you've got these outfitters that, that are putting people off and that, but they still have to pay for the concessions, just like you said. Yep. And it, it, it's, it's one of those things, man. It's, it's a scary, scary time. Yeah. Well, Keith, what is, what is going on at GSM this week? Lots. We're very, very busy. It's, it's getting that time. And, you know, when we had double bowl, anytime after July 4th, it was like game on. Now, Throughout this summer, when we've been growing, is you know we uh, we have walkers and we have you know, shooting made easy, so on and so forth. And, and the shooting sports segment of the world right now is crazy, and so our our business has been rocking and rolling for months on end and, and actually years on end. But coming into the fall now, I mean we're past that July Fourth. The so stuff is getting serious. Outfitters are getting their stuff in place. You know a lot of the tags. Uh, and licenses were just issued in these states that when they do the drawings, you know, for out west or whatever, even for like North Carolina, they're just mm-hmm. announcing the seasons. And, you know, that that's that spur of the moment, that spur that you get, you know, and you're, you're backside and all of a sudden you're thinking it's it's time to go hunting, you know. Yeah. It's it's time to get serious with food plots. It's time to do everything and make sure bow shooting good, gun shooting good. You know, I know today we're going to talk about Cyclops lights, which are one of my favorite pieces of equipment and and it's uh it's absolutely i I always love really good flashlights it's kind of a strange thing to say but (laughs) um cyclops has has them and we're going to touch base on a bunch of those but you know it's it's cranking at gsm right now yeah and it seems like this part of the industry i don't know if we're getting more scared of the dark or what it is but it seems like this part of the industry is getting more and more popular um, you know, I guess as we get, get more toys out in the outdoors, whether it's boats, whether it's side by sides, you know, hunting in general, that the, the lighting world is getting more popular and probably I'd say what it, you know, than it ever has probably due to more technology being available. I would agree. See what you have all these flashlights that have D cells and C cells and double A's and whatever. And now you're coming up with rechargeable ones. Then you're mixing in light emitting diodes, LEDs on, on, you know, on this, you know, the flashlight now that doesn't burn half the juice, but it's a brighter light. Um, you can do different colors with this. So you're talking about varmint hunting and you got, you know, batteries that'll last all night. So it's, it's the battery technology it's some of the style technology and even ergonomics. You know, you think about that little bite grip on the back of some of these flashlights that you and I both know. Double A, you know, when you had your little double A, you'd stick it in your mouth, crack a couple teeth or whatever, you know, while you're trying to do something. But, you know, just just technology and, and, and improvements like that are huge. You know, we've got in, in the Cyclops world, we've got some of the most powerful lights and they're battery operated. I mean, they will cast beams it's nuts. Well, coyote light for, here's a great example of a fantastic light. At 400 yards, you can identify the whole coyote, hmm. not just his eyes. You neck this beam down, it goes down to a square. Okay. And it's one of the neatest lenses I've ever seen. It's, it's, it looks like half of a tennis ball. 
And as you neck this down, it keeps that power and it just keeps driving into a more and more intense environment. And all of a sudden you got this square that you can take and, and light up. You can identify that coyote at that far, you know, so you're, you're not, you know, shooting something accidentally you didn't want to see. This isn't just shooting at eyes. This is looking at the whole animal. And, and that's this technology, you know, that's it's crazy. And, and, you know, Cyclops is no different. Now, you know, one of the hat, the hat lamps are probably my favorite thing. You know, they clip onto your hat and they're so simple. It's one little button. And now I've got this flood of light. You can have red or you can have green or you can have white. And they're $10 items that save the day. <laughs> yeah, and the company, I mean, Cyclops um, themselves, they cover, you know, spotlights, you know, handheld lights, headlamps, flashlights, LED light bars. I mean, it pretty much covers, you know, everything that, that you will need to, you know, see in the dark. Well, and, and that's just the truth of it. It is a, a lot of people really like the idea. And of course, in this day and time, you know, think about it from a security standpoint. You know, you want your wife to have a flashlight in the car. You always do. You want your kids to, you know, especially if they're just learning to drive or whatever, just in case there's something that goes wrong. And, you know, knowing that the battery is not going to wear out and the LED is, is going to last forever in a day. Uh, it, it, and, and they're reasonably priced. So you throw it in there and you don't have to worry about it. You know, if they push the button a year and a half from now, it's going to light up. Yeah. Well, Keith, I don't know if you followed along, but, you know, last year I had an issue. I had bought some rechargeable headlamps, picked them up, and you plug them in these, in your truck. Well, my Ford truck would not quit running. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't kill it. I had pulled battery wires, cables off. I had done everything I could think of. I had called Ford, talked to mechanics, and we couldn't figure out what was going on, Well. Both lights were pulling so much power when they were both plugged in at the same time that it was tripping a sensor and would not allow my truck to die. <laughs> yeah, it needed to keep the alternator running. <laughs> yes, my truck had ran for over five hours, and I filmed part of it. And, like, folks, y'all watch this. And, I mean, I pulled both batteries. Uh, you know, it's a diesel truck, so I've got two batteries. So I pulled cables off of each one, you know, pulled them off of both. Yeah. Went in there and pushed buttons and did everything. So, yeah, if you've got lights that with regular standard batteries will actually stay charged and not drain down every single afternoon, <laughs> you know, that's that's my kind of light because that's the issue that – and a lot of times in my gear, I may not think about my light until I need it. It's mm -hmm. in a backpack. It's in a duck blind, you know, bag. It's in something, and all of a sudden I'm out in the woods, and, and I've shot an animal, and I need to be able to track it. Well – I got to flip on my light and I'm having to use my cell phone because the light won't work because I've, I've drained batteries. So, you know, anything like that, that helps be consistent and you can yeah. use it at any time. Reliable. That's what, that's what pushes me to buy things. Well, yeah, and, and talking about rechargeable, uh, probably three quarters of our lights are rechargeable and they hold their charge forever. Um, I actually have, um, pull the model up here i just saw it a second ago it is the 25 right here it is they call it the waterproof led spotlight okay it's 300 lumens it has this uh, adjustable little bracket it's waterproof it's got a beacon it's got all kinds of things that you know you can do with it i charged this up and i used it last fall I used it in the spring. I would light up my bed, bed liner with it, you know, when I was grabbing my stuff, getting ready to go turkey hunting. And I still have not charged it since last fall. And this thing's still running like nothing else. And it's, it's just unbelievable to have a $45 flashlight that does this, you know, and it's one of those things that it's priceless. You know, when I came on board and they are, they already own Cyclops. So I was coming into this realm. I couldn't believe the amount of flashlights that had mag magnets or had stands. And that magnet, I was always wondering, you know, man, I, well, are you really going to use this? We'll start using it, you know. All of a sudden, the funny thing is, is I use one above my bed. We have um, cast iron, uh, like, ornamental stuff on there. And to read at night, I don't want to turn all the lights on. So I take a really tiny little one, and it's got a magnet on the back. Clip it on there. I face it at my book. Boom, I'm, I'm reading, and I'm not disturbing my wife. So... I love these magnets. You know, if you're working in your truck or you're working anywhere and you can slap that on there and it's sticking to something, it, it's handy as all get it because it frees your hands up. 
Yeah, I hadn't thought about it. I hadn't tried one of those yet. I'll have to look at those. The, the, you know, when you told us this week that we were going to be talking about Cyclops, Jeremy and I both went to researching, and, you know, that was the one thing I know we both saw is there's any type of light just about you want, it's in there. <laughs> so if you're looking there's for a, a thousand skews of flashlights. Yeah, if you if you go on to GSM Outdoors, go to Cyclops Lights, and go find whatever you need because I assure you they have it. Uh, there, there's anything and everything there you want, whether you're wanting handheld, whether you're wanting light bars, you know, and that's one of the big things now, whether a light bar on your truck or on your buggy, oh yeah, on your on boat. boat. You know, and, yeah. and they come in so handy. If you're in the dark, you know, you're you're heading up a river or up a slough and you're trying to get decoys set out, you know, the way we do when we're duck hunting and stuff, or whether you're deer hunting too. If you're easing in, the more you can see, the better chance you have of not hitting anything. The, the safer can, it is. Yeah, the safer you're looking from a safety standpoint. Yeah. I mean, I've known several incidents um, just locally where we duck hunt that, you know, somebody be be traveling up river and, you know, hit something and when you get down to the to the cause of it it's probably because they didn't have sufficient lighting to be able to see it and um i know the boats we've we've used we always put light bars on them to to be able to illuminate and you know not only help you when you get there to be able to see everything but also get there safely and um i know cyclops they have you know several different dimensions lumens um all that to help you help you get there yeah, we came out with this year, uh, it's called the RS-1600 Spotlight. And it's about the size of a Q-beam from days gone past, but it's much more sleek and slender. It's not so bulky. But it has our Cree LED light bulb in there, and that's an 18-watt LED. And this thing here, I'm telling you what, if your animal's out there wounded and you shouldn't shine this light on, it'll kill it. <laughs> it's just you don't need your weapon or anything like that. This thing is so powerful. Now, we kicked it, the, we kicked it off the and shined it one outdoor rider in the shot show booth, and it, it had the green lens on it, so it was this green tractor beam of light, like something out of Star Wars. It hit him so hard in the face. He was talking to somebody, I, and he was he, he, it actually discombobulated. He stumbled around there in that booth, and we thought he was going to fall down any time. And it is, it is just something that is so furious bright. I mean, anger bright. And it holds its charge, and you slap these different lens covers on these things. And, man, it's, it's just spectacular. If you want a, a light that reaches out beyond anything that we have that, that is, you know, handheld wireless, there is nothing that beats this RS-1600. Now, Keith, in our part of the world, that type of light, when I was growing up, was called the one-eyed beagle. <laughs> and and the, the game warden really frowned on you for using that light. Uh, yeah. Well, in a, in yep. a certain manner. Yeah. I mean, you, you weren't, uh, what, wildlife harassment, if you weren't shooting yeah. them, uh, they could tag you either way and give you a ticket. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're saying, now, Keith, I have a question, and, and a lot of our listeners may know, and, and I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. You know, the changing of the lenses, whether you go to a red lens or a green lens, Mm-hmm. Does that affect different wildlife? You know, we've been told that a certain color hogs don't recognize it, so it doesn't bother them. They consider to feed. You know, a certain color you know helps you to pick up blood when you're blood trailing. Can you okay, go my, into that? My, my opinion, and it's just an opinion, because a, a again, um, you know, it's like when I develop camo, I, I tell people I cross my eyes and I let it all blur, and if it's still got really good contrast, I'm in the chips. And I said, I, I'm, I can't screw my brain into the back of a deer's eyeballs to see what they see. But I do know that red uh, does show an advantage, especially if it's tempered up as far as going from, you know, lower to high. Uh, great thing with the coyote light. Um, some of those like that, I think it's I think it's very advantageous. You can you can it's been proven you're going to shoot hogs and you're going to shoot coyotes over. Them. The green is what I have been told. Uh, and I, I know quite a few eye doctors. I've sold them blinds over the year. They've told me that the green, when you shut the light off, since it's green, you don't lose all your night vision. And where if you got a white light, a very bright white light, and it's, then there's moisture in the air and it's kicking some refra- refraction back at you. And you know what I'm talking about, this very mm-hmm. shiny white bright. You shut that light off, you are blind. Uh, you can't see that. And you know, slapping into the greens, like the green hat clip lights or the green smaller little tactical lights, 
they're so nice because you can get out there uh you're climbing your stand you know you're getting ready to to disconnect this and reconnect it over here or whatever and it's just nice to have that so when you shut it off you still kind of have an idea of where you're at that's the green uh white in my opinion is the only way to go looking for blood and i want a bright white light and i don't want something that's got yellow in it or anything like that i'm not spraying foam on it or using a, a blood trailing light i just i like a really crisp white light and why is that keith uh, my eyes just pick up red very easily under a white light and i've tried these gerber lights and even the primos one and I get no uh, response out of it like a lot of people do. Now, some people, they, they love it. And I've been with them. They can just follow like a bloodhound. I can't see anything with it. And, and I'm, I'm questioning myself, like, what's wrong with me? But I turn a white light on, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm right there with them. So it, it is kind of a personal preference. But the green is supposed to keep you from uh, losing a lot of your night uh, vision. Yeah, especially if your eyes have adapted to it. You know, you're walking out there, you set your blind up, you turn your, your hat clip light on, it's green, and you're working around inside there, and you shut it back off, and you still can, you know, jump back repair rather yeah. quickly where white light is blinding, and red is, I think red is hard for us to see, you know, really what you're doing in it. Well, you know, what do you, you know from, a, from an animal standpoint? Say, you know, I've always wondered this, and I try to do it without a light as much as I can, you know, like a like an early morning um, deer hunt, for instance. You're you're going to the stand. You know, for one, I don't want to step on limbs when I'm going to the stand, make a whole lot of noise. But it would is it better? Do you know if it's better to use a green or a red when you're going so that you don't spook? You know what? May- this, Justin Zar from Bowhoney.com is the perfect uh, crass contestant to answering this question. And he will look at me and go, Beamer, do you really think that deer that can run full blast through the night, that they they care what color light you're wearing? They can see you no matter what you have on your head, yeah. okay? Whether it's a white light, a red light, or a green light. And he said, you know, with no light, they know you're there. Mm-hmm. They know you're there before you step out of your truck. Yeah. And, you know, they might not bolt out of there just depending on the year or whatever, but, you know, they might blow out as soon as you get out of the truck. They might wait for you to get 25 yards away. But they can run full blast and they can eat and they can drink and they can run up hills through the timber <laughs> in the dark. They can see in the dark. That I have a hard time believing they can't see humans, and that's what Justin and I always laugh about. But I think it's a personal preference. Again, that green is going to keep your night vision. Um, I believe in using a light, especially if you're going to be uh, fumbling around or, you know, walking circles, trying to find something. And, you know, that we've got these tacks and stuff that are the marker things that are super nice. And, and I don't understand if people get lost or if they have a little anxiety because of the dark, you know, why not tack all the way out there to your stand in the daytime and then hit it with a light and see every one of your tacks all the mm-hmm. way down there to your, to your tree stand. It's just a comfort thing. Then you know you're on the right thing, and if you're, you know, it's spooky. You know, dark is spooky. Well, they also sell. I think we've touched on this topic on here before. They they sell these really neat things called GPSs now that you can get and yeah, that's got no, your own public land. That's gotten Beamer track. in a bind before. Yeah, because Beamer's wrong. <laughs> yeah, hold on, I'm blaming it on the operator. He's blaming it on the program. But uh, <laughs> I am the luckiest man. I we had this talk. We, we've had uh-huh. this talk. Yeah, I'm going to tell you another today it won't have anything to do with gps is other than up and down i don't know all altimeter i need or that's something funny like that. Th- talking about the uh the reflective tax um not talking about myself here but i know a buddy he collects them when it comes to public land when he goes through there and he sees <laughs> he, he finds their stand well, when he well when he sees that or going you know uh a, a lighted trail of tax going to maybe a uh, a popular duck hunting spot he just s- somehow adds a few more to his collection whenever he sees that i don't oh yeah definitely not yeah. speaking on myself here so yeah that's well, kind of you know, that's kind of bad it's just, it's just, sometimes it's an advantage <laughs> sometimes it's an indicator of where to go that's right <laughs> you know that, that's that thing be out there first we always hunted duck hunting in public land and in order to go to some of the best blinds up in these bays it's farland bay or whatever on the illinois river you had to be there at four in the morning to get your name drawn first mm-hmm. you know and, and and it's one of those things that it's no different than the tax being out there indicating where to go you know 
an early worm gets the bird or something like that. There's a bird and a worm and something early. Yeah, and, again, and again, not talking about myself here, but this buddy, I'm like, you know how hard somebody probably the, the amount of effort they took to to uh, to light illuminate this trail up with all these markers, and you're gonna um, you're gonna add them to your collection. Well, yeah, I was collecting. <laughs> well, it is. Stars. I guess it is. I don't know if it's as good or or worse, but at least he's not moving them to the other side of the tree or two. <laughs> he's not just moving them, uh-huh. you know, sending them off yeah. on a whole different trail. Um, uh, Take somebody could, off a cliff. <laughs> yeah, that could be bad too. But now, keep going back to Cyclops lights. I mean, you've got you've got anything and everything. I mean, you you want handhelds, you want headlamps, you want you know, and, and like you say, different lumens, different powers, everything. Yeah, the, the we've, got, we've got a full line of marine stuff too. So it's you know great for your boat. It's going to hold a charge. It floats. Uh, it's got different indicator SOS uh, dash and, and and dot lines or light uh, indicators off the back of it. If you if you need help, you know it, it's it, it really is one of the most fascinating <laughs> websites to look at. It's Cyclops.com, and you go out there. Or CyclopsSolutions.com, and, and you go out there and you don't think, wow, it's not that cool. It's just lights. Well, go through them. Mm-hmm. I can promise you you're going to run into one that goes, huh, I could use that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Keith, how do they hold up? You know, a lot of – we like to fish offshore a lot being down here on the coast. We're, you know, not far from the coast. How do they hold up in salt water and stuff? Because a lot of times I know the, the outfitters that I fish with or friends I fish with – that's one of the headaches, you know. They're they're trying to to get out early in the morning, or you're coming in late in the evening after catching snapper or tuna or whatever you're doing. And if you're out in the Gulf of Mexico, you need all the lights you can get. You know, you're, you're right. making sure you don't run up on rigs or anything else. Another boat uh, when you're coming back in, you don't want to hit rock shoals or anything. You know, jetties coming in, so you know. But I don't I, have. I don't I know have a real salt answer water for that, real but I can find it out. I was just wondering how well they hold up because I know that condition out there is just, you know, anytime you're around salt, salt's going to eat it up. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm going to guess that these are these have been around for a long time, and it's one of our best sellers, that whole marine thing. I'm going to guess if there was an issue with it, you would read about it on there. I can't speak to it, and, and I won't make stuff up. Um, well, I was just I, wondering. I know, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how many of our listeners do go out in saltwater fish, but, you know, if you're looking for a light, it's a place to go. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I we could probably field test this together if I was ever invited to go off uh, shore and fish with you. But I guess since I'm not, I'm gonna sit here and just talk about my life. Well, it's kind of like us talking about the doing coast. the hog hunting. The main thing is you have to get down here. You know, I can line I've things heard, up. I've heard I just before. need to hear when you're actually gonna get down here. Uh, it's coming soon. Yeah. I can uh-huh. I can do my part. You've got to do yours, boss man. <laughs> <laughs> it's always my fault. Everything I do is always my fault. Yes, it's good that way, though. I can live with it. Well, at least yes. we know where the problem lies. I mean. Yes, indeed. Look, now, I'm not trying that. to do you like your wife does. I mean, it's not always your fault. I mean, I know mine Mine tells me it's always her fault, but, uh, you know, 99% of the time it is mine. <laughs> All right, I'm glad your wife tells you it's always her fault. Oh, That's she will. Awesome. She'll, and it's always said in a really nice tone, not that sarcastic, snarky. Like I guess that's my fault too. It's like, oh well, yeah. Now that you admitted it, I'll go with that. Um, you know, if I can pass the blame, it's all right. I'll run with it. <laughs> I'll tell you if, you, if I don't know if you guys know what uh, Cobb LED is, uh, COB. It's chips on board, okay. And, you know, all this stuff has beams that you connect down and whatever, but you want to talk about flood, okay? Like if you want a light that you can throw in your backpack that you can put on your headlamp or hang in the back of your truck, that's not going to just shine a beam in a certain area, you know, because you're kind of close, you know, so it's not a three-degree cone. The chips on board are LED chips actually glued on a board of LED. And what it does is it it works a lot like your – prisms it casts light in every single direction so that's another thing we haven't talked about and i I was just feeling bad about you know your wife always being the one that you know is in trouble (laughs) and not you god love you (laughs) look thank goodness she is a very patient lady 
and and you know her that is probably one of her greatest attributes is that she is uh she is very tolerant yes tolerant is a really good word she is very tolerant if not she would have probably already smothered me with a pillow in my sleep so (laughs) probably no it's probably not very very likely so so question then to to you fisher i'm sure are you going after the big fish or do you just hit like little structure areas and 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 do reds and whatever fun kind i I hate trolling all day to catch one fish we do a little bit of both each year um different friends and different guides that are outfitters that i'll you know go with from time to time uh some Uh of them you know you're catching reds and you're catching trout just right there in inshore or right you know short boat ride and you're working popping cork and you know, we're working the bottom, trying to catch everything. Or during snapper season, we'll make a little run out, run out 40, 50 miles. You know, not a long boat ride, but – and then I've, I've got several guys that I will make a tuna trip or two each summer with, and we'll run out 120, 180 miles and maybe pull an all-nighter and find a good drill ship out there and go to work. And just depends on who calls and who has – a lot of times what, you know – I've looked over the years at buying a camp down there or buying a boat. and mm-hmm. It came to – it finally dawned on me one time that, hey, look, I'll let them own it. I'll uh-huh. help with fuel and I'll help with bait when I come down and help clean the boat, and they're just as happy as anything else. And you are too. Yeah, and, and I don't <laughs> yeah, have oh, the yeah, maintenance. Yeah. I don't have to, you know, cover the insurance. I don't have a monthly note. You know, it, that would actually works in my favor, too. So, yeah, look, any of you guys out there, if you've got places that you want to go fish and you need somebody to go, give me a call. If I'm free that weekend, I'll make a run. And we, nice. we've been doing that for years. Uh, you know, you, you know, you're as bad as I am. You make friends and acquaintances and somebody oh, says, yeah. hey, I want to go on a hunt. And, <laughs> you know, do you want to drive together and split fuel? Sure I do. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, we'll load up in a heartbeat. Uh, have have diesel wheel travel at all times. That's a good attitude. That's how and you diesels get... and diesels finally priced where it should be for the last ten years of four dollars. Well, that depends. Now Jeremy's in the oil field. Yeah, I'm not uh, going to say that. So he's not going to go that way. And I have. <laughs> oh, a, my, I'm not saying you. I'm sorry. You can I say something a, about cyclop lights. You know, there, and there's a lot of people in our industry. A lot of friends we have that you know, if the oil field's down, you know, they're having trouble with hunting or, or you know, their livelihoods in jeopardy. And now nah, we, there's a happy median that it needs to be at. We're not quite there yet, in my opinion. But it'll be glad when everybody gets back to. To operate Drive, full bore. To driving? Yeah, to driving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and not only that, right now, oil is down and people are traveling less. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's just it. I mean, I just got done driving, I don't know, uh, 13 and then 12. So, 25 hours out of the last 48 or 72. And the highways were alone. Um, you know, and, and that's what I don't want to see. You know, I, I love seeing semis going across country. That means people are selling stuff and they're buying new. So, Beamer, we talked to a gentleman the other day. He said they went on a uh, plane flight to Colorado, and he said it was four people on the plane. Mm-hmm. Now, you tell me how you can afford to fly an airplane full of four people. Now, surely they're hauling cargo. They've they picked up an extra something to, to cover that additional cost. But Yeah, you're talking, what, maybe 800 bucks? you know, went into that flight. They got it maybe 200 a person. Well, yeah. <laughs> you look at the trip I've got coming up this year to Utah. Yeah, I booked a $188 round trip trip for the guy that's going with me. I mean, so less than 400 bucks for us to fly over there and back. And we've got to get on two planes. So we're Mm -hmm. going to fly into Dallas and then from Dallas to Utah. And we're doing it for a fraction of the cost that it would cost to drive. Because, I mean, you're talking about 28 hours from here to Salt Lake City driving. Yeah. And got a half a day flying for a fraction of the cost. So no, I mean it's a it's a tough time right now. I don't know how they're making it, uh, except for unless they're hauling cargo. I mean you've got to have you got to fill your plane with something. Yeah, and and you know I I have known a little stock in some airlines, especially Boeing. And uh, you want to see the oil being burnt, Jeremy? So uh, yeah, you got you got to have it. It's, it's like Warren Buffett said that you can have all the solar power and 
whatever wind turbines and things you need but uh, going across that sky is always going to require at least for the next bunch of years going to require petroleum and uh we need that you know our our country finally got self-sufficient on it you know where we can finally drive things we're actually probably the leader in it you know so we got to get people back on the roads and we got to get everybody back on their jobs well, Beamer, you had just told us before we got on air that you had been, y'all were doing some filming for deer stands. Uh, uh-huh. Now, most of your stories end in accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you, they you do. You don't sound muffled. You don't sound like you're in great agony. So I'm guessing y'all were able to do the shoot without any major incident this time? <laughs> I, did not, I did not get hurt. Um, I have learned a few things. Uh, I don't need to be in front of the camera which a lot of times that takes me out of harm's way. And it's kind of fun to uh, film people and do it right. So, no, there was no injuries this time. But but I do have a story. I'm going to tell you the end of this. <laughs> Did you guys order my book yet? Because it's funny. I mean, it seriously is. And I'm doing a rewrite because there's about 40 new chapters that need to be uh, worked 40? through. Part and I'm going to find new a character chapters? artist that can draw what's happening in every one of these chapters. Hmm. And I, I know I, a gentleman that can do that, seller. but he's more of a sci-fi drawer. Uh, so if you want some really creative, he can put you some stuff together. And it's not me. No, uh, it's not me either. I can't draw stick man with a ruler. Kind of, kind of like, you know, everybody asks, what instrument do you play? It's like, Lord, I barely can operate the radio. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. about the only instrument yeah. I play. Yeah. I use the air mic. Uh, I just act like I'm singing. Well, Beamer, uh, back in college, kind of talking about climbing stands or or stands, uh, we had a speech class. And in the speech class, you had to give a demonstrative speech. A friend of mine called, and he said, hey, he said, I need you to bring your climber to class tomorrow. He said, I want you to go ahead and set up outside in the yard outside the classroom and he said when i come out he said i'm gonna give you a signal he said i want you to show how to climb with a climbing stand now this was safety harnesses were not really a big thing back then you Uh know and and i've got my climber and i'm i'm ready well as soon as the instructor walked out he was like hey 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 i'm not sure the university can cover you if you fall um why don't we just call this but any one up he let me climb about 25 30 feet and he was like well how hard do you normally get it so it depends on where i'm at i mean if i'm trying to get above wind or above brush where i get a clear shot i may be 40 or 50 feet in there and he's like all right we're not doing that today i said oh no i've gone up high enough where i've had to neck the cables down while i'm in the air because i'm starting to point at the ground with the stand so i'm having to actually tighten things up before i set myself permanently and he's like no we're not doing that today so that was actually part of his speech i think we got an a out of it so we were we were happy rocking and rolling and i what were you checking for weather i mean <laughs> seriously i mean i do most of my hunting out of a ground boy so i'm kind of brain dead when it comes to really how high you should be in a tree most of our ladder stands are like 15 to 18 feet. That's, that's my up, range. You're up there above timberline. I mean, it, the trees no, have run out of... Not here, boss. You got a 100-foot-tall pine tree. I can shimmy on up. Yeah, but that just makes you shot further. <laughs> Sometimes if you've got low understory and your shooting lanes are further past that and you need to get above them so you can clear ah. and have a free lane on a bow... I'm a beamer. I'm, I, I'm on the ground or, like you say, 15-foot, and I've... I've wore yeah. the deer out in a 15-foot double-man stand. <laughs> no one yeah, said well, we were well, smart. i got to tell you my I mean, story now. Now you got me in this because, see, this is going to pertain to my story and why I like 15- and 18-foot heights. Because if you do fall and you're coordinated and you didn't fall, like, in a bad way, you may survive. Remember, I'm the luckiest man in the world. Yeah. Is there a and, good way and, to fall? You said yeah, not this, fall in a bad way. way. Is there yeah. a proper way to fall? There could be really bad ways. Not head first. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I have a, what was the old rule of thumb? Falling's not what, what hurts. It's a sudden, sudden impact stop. to bop. It's a sudden yeah. stop. Yeah, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. You know, getting punched in the face doesn't necessarily hurt. And you're just blocking things. Um, so I'm going to tell you a story, okay? All right. Can I, can I tell a story now? Yeah, you only got, got about ten minutes. Roll okay, on. We got, oh, yeah, this would be good. All right, so back when Double Bowl was uh, getting a, a run for the money, and it's probably 1997, 
we became good friends with another company out of Minneapolis. I won't use their name, um, but they wanted to swap some blinds for tree stands. Well, Brooks and I don't really hunt out of tree stands, but okay. And I've hunted out of a, like a screaming eagle in college and whatever. So, you know, I was first on a lock on stand, but they gave us these new stands and they were like, we'd love your opinion on them. We want to know we're going to make one more change and then we're going to roll with the manufacturing on. So Brooks and I, the first day there in Nebraska, we said, uh, Let's split up this time because we've always scouted together and always hunted together. And I said, let's split up. We'll each take a set of these stands. We'll get up in the air and we'll watch where the deer are moving. And we'll move in and put our blind there. We'll take our video cams. We had high eights back then. He said, we'll, we'll film you know, where the deer are going. And then when we set the blind up, it'll be a great story for our television show. So here I am. In, I'm in this cotton row, uh, cottonwood row. And there's a few other trees in there that, okay, so I climbed up about, I don't know, 12 feet, 15 feet with screwing steps. And I locked this thing on just like you should. And it feels good and comfy. It's snug up against the tree. And I think he said something about back then you didn't really pay attention to safety belts and straps and so on and so forth. So I may or may not have. I will never confirm or deny whether I was wearing one. But I, uh, I'm up there in my stand. Now I'm watching a few deer at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, 4.30. This is fun because most of the time I spend it in a blind and you're kind of limited on your visibility. And I'm looking around, looking around, I'm seeing stuff. I'm seeing a flock of turkeys over there. And I'm like, wow, this is cool. It's your raccoon, you know. And it, I'm really enjoying this. I have tremendous hearing. And anybody that's hunted with me, it will drive them nuts. Um, I'm one of the guys I can sit down in a restaurant and if I focus on a table, I can hear what they're saying. And even though I have listened to god-awful amounts of hardcore metal rock my whole life, God did bless me with some great hearing. So I'm sitting up in this tree, and it's almost like it's a, I'm getting a headache. It is a super high-pitch whine. And I, it's like somebody whistling. You know, you just, it's so high-pitched, you can't really hear it. It just hurts in your head. And this is going on, and I'm like, man, am I coming down with a sinus infection or something? Maybe you know, my ears are clogged or whatever. I, you know, I'm sitting there batting my eyes and trying to focus this and shake my head. And it's just this super high, I mean super high-pitched whine. And I'm looking around. I'm starting to get nervous. I'm starting to feel like I don't feel good. You know, psychosomatic illness is hitting me. I'm like, I am coming down with something. I, I can feel it in my head. It hurts in, in my ears, and it's just it's getting worse. And it all of a sudden started getting a little bit louder. And then a little bit louder. Well, now I know it's not in my head. Now I know it's an actual sound. Now, this has been going on for, seriously, I won't exaggerate, five to ten minutes of this high pitch in my head. I look around, look around trying to find it. I can't find it. I'm looking there. It's getting louder. <laughs> and, it, and, and the pitch is coming down just a, a trifle. Okay, it's getting a little lower. So, and most people, if you were five feet away from this, still wouldn't have heard this. Okay, but I can hear it. And I look around, and they had these buckles with like a carbineer, whatever they call it, car carabiners, um, that you hook together, and then you pull down against it, right? And your tree pushes itself against there, so that's that leverage point using this chain, right? Mm -hmm. They had these, these uh, carabiners. And I turn around, I'm looking again, I'm looking, I'm hearing it now, I can pinpoint it. I look down, <laughs> and, and my carabiner is straightening itself out. I mean, I am watching, like if you had your finger made in a fist and you look down at it, you took your index finger and you just slowly open this thing up, I am watching this. Now I'm sitting up there and I do have my bow. And I'm like, I'm like, I got about half a minute before this thing really straightens out. I'm coming down. I'm going to jump now so I can control this rather than, Ooh. you know, deal with this. So I, I jumped out of there and I hit and I, I, I knew I had to roll when I hit. But I remember it just blew the air out of me and I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm like, wow, holy cow, that was a jump, you know, and I, I could feel it in my legs and, and everything, but I was a okay. And so I walk over towards Brooks, and he's sitting up in his stand. I said, you hearing anything high-pitched? <laughs> he's like, what the hell are you talking about? And I'm like, no, you hearing anything high-pitched? He's like, no, I, what are you talking about? I said, well, okay, if you start hearing high-pitched things in your head, I would suggest you grab your tree steps and clock them down. <laughs> I said, I'm going to give jump. my unit over here a big failure. 
and uh, we had to climb up. It still stayed up there. It didn't. It didn't come out when when I jumped. Uh, but it was really funny to show to Brooks, and it had straightened itself out almost to the end. And had I not had hearing like that, I'd have just all of a sudden left the tree. Mm. You know, and and you do have climbing steps and stuff, and I may or may not have been strapped in properly. Well, Beamer, I, and, I hate to be that guy and ask this, but did it have a weight limit? <laughs> Had well, maybe then, we exceeded was, the uh, uh, the maximum capacity on this stand? <laughs> now, back then, I was about one hundred ninety-seven in pretty good shape. I, I don't. I, I maybe it obviously had a weight limit. Maybe it was one hundred fifty. <laughs> yeah, it, it, obviously that carabiner was not rated for me. I can promise what you did, that. I know you're not saying the company's name. What did the company say when you let them in on this little piece of in, insight? Oh, I called them. I called them that night from a, a phone at, at a bar and explained it to them. They were really happy to hear it. Um, I had to. We did. You didn't have cell phones, so you take pictures or whatever, you know. So I had to bring stands back to them. But it, it, you know, it is interesting. You hear this cliche, and your dad's told you that, and your grandfather's told you. You know, the weakest thing the is weakest that one link. link in a chain. And I can promise you, I found it. But but again, I'm the luckiest man in the world because I had great hearing and I was able to recognize what was going wrong at a very fast clip and uh, escape most injury there. <laughs> well, my other question is, did the bow survive? Yeah, yeah. Okay, because in yeah. your other two stories, the bow has not come out well. So No, the bow, to the previous two stories, the bow has come completely unstrung and the arrows are just, just ruined. Yeah. This, this, I wish this had video to it because we have a one, one time I was stalking a mule deer and my, Mike, Mike Wiltz is one of my best friends and he is my best friend and he filmed me for like 12 years plus we hunt together all the time for the last you know 15 or 18 and we were on a hunt and I was really getting into these off-camera interviews you know and you're sitting there talking and I'm pointing out to Mike, you know, and I've, I've got him manually focus me, and he's like, this is the perfect shot. So I'm whispering in the camera. I'm like, we are going to slip down there, and we are going to walk right up on that mule deer, and I'm going to kill him. I said, but we got to be really quiet. And I turned around, and you remember Bill Dance falling out of boats? Yeah. You know, yeah. and stuff like that. I, <laughs> on film, I turned around right after saying, we got to be real quiet now. I turned around and I stepped in like a badger hole and I fell face first instantly. And I mean, it was like somebody hit me in the back of the head with a shovel and it's all caught on camera. And I just got done saying, we got to be quiet. There was so much noise when I hit my backpack, did this, arrows were popping out of my quiver, so on and so forth. And I mean, I started laughing out loud. It was funny. And Mike started laughing out loud. Well, the mule there was not down there by the time we got there. Um, but I can promise you that I had laughed so hard that there's tears in my eyes. So. Sometimes when you give a word of warning to how quiet you're going to be, it might not always end up that way. Oh, man. Well, Beamer, we have, uh, we've reached the end of another one, man. Cyclopsolutions.com. Yeah, check it out. Anybody that's listening to this, seriously, you, you have a flashlight that you don't know you need, but it's there. Just go find Gosh. it. Go find it. Yes. <laughs> all right, guys. We enjoyed it. Jacob Keith, it was a good one. We hope all of you enjoyed this episode of Outdoor Country Talk. And God bless. God bless. God bless. Well, ain't nothing like a southerner. Lord, to make you feel all right. I got the windows down. I got the radio on.